the difficult bits. I think we sometimes get to bits like this and go, I've got no hope. I've got no hope of making any sense of this. No, that's not true. Come with an expectation that God is going to speak to us as we come, even to the most difficult bits. So expectation, but then come with a humility. A humility that says, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. And that's good, because it reminds me that I'm not God. I'm a person with a limited brain. I may be fairly intelligent, but I'm not God. And therefore, there's a sort of a humility as I come to God's word that says, I cannot understand this unless God helps me, unless he helps me to understand and to see what this word says. So see, there's, a, there's a humility as we approach God's words. So expectation, humility, and then common sense. Right, come with common sense. Apply a bit of common sense to reading of the Bible. Honestly, sometimes you get to passages like this and people just go sort of slightly bananas. And they see all kinds of weird stuff. And it's like you have to have this secret knowledge, this kind of code that will unlock what this really means. No, listen, it's not that difficult, okay? Go for the things that are most obvious. Go for the things that, that you can see are written there. The Bible isn't God's kind of puzzle book. You know, where God says, I'm going to try and trick them. I'm going to put a really difficult passage in just to annoy the preachers. <laughs> now, God isn't like that. And so God's word, apply some common sense to it. Go for the stuff that's obvious. That's what we're going to try and do, okay? expectation, humility, and common sense. So I, I, I hope you're sitting here this afternoon and you're expecting that God's going to speak. Now you may not be Christian. You may have come along this afternoon. You may be just checking out what you believe. You may be thinking about this stuff. Well, can, can I ask you, are you willing to give it a go? Are you willing to expect that God might say something to you this afternoon? And if you are a Christian, I really hope you're expecting. So let's pray. We're going to pray. We're going to ask that God would help us with expectation, humility, and a good smattering of common sense. So let's pray. Let's pray for his help. Father, we come to you and we come wanting to be expectant. We, we come because this is your word. We come because you speak through this word to us. And we ask that you would speak to us this afternoon. Father, please help us, we pray. We come humbly, admitting that we don't know everything. There are things here that puzzle us, things that confuse us. Please help us to come with a humility and Lord, thank you, you've given us brains, you've given us common sense. You, you, this isn't some puzzle for us to unlock, it's your word for us to read. So help us to understand the simple things you want us to understand this afternoon. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, I'm going to read a chunk of it, and then uh, we're going to look at it. We're going to get through the whole chapter this afternoon. Um, but don't worry, it's good. We're gonna have some, it'll be fun along the way, don't worry. Uh, let's, let's read um, verses 1 to 13, just to get us into it. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. 
many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and of rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay, we're going to read some more in a minute, but let's, let's just have a stab at getting into this. And I don't know if you noticed, twice in what we just read, Jesus talks about the end. Okay? So he talks about wars, rooms of wars. The end is still to come. And then, in that last verse we read, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Right, here's my big question. The end of what? The end of what? What's Jesus talking about? You see, it may strike you as strange, but that is the big question about this passage. The end of what, Jesus? You see, you may immediately say, well, surely he's talking about the end of the world. Sounds like the end of the world. Is it the end of the world? Well, if we rush to that, and if we rush to say, this is the end of the world, actually we've missed what's really going on here. We need to do a step before that. And that's what this little line is. You see, what is it that the disciples are asking Jesus about? Jesus, they're coming out of the temple, and Jesus says, this place is going to be thrown down. What place? The temple. Okay, well, what's the temple? The temple is this massively important building where God came to dwell and his people could come to worship. And Jesus has spent the last three chapters in Mark's gospel in the temple. In chapter 11, he arrived in the temple. He rode on a donkey. Pretty famous story. He rode on a donkey, arrives in Jerusalem as the king of Jerusalem. He goes straight to the temple, and when he gets there, he's not happy. He's not happy because they've turned the temple from a place of worship into a place of idolatry and money and a den of robbers. God has been pushed out, and it's become all about them and about their religious performance. And Jesus has spent two chapters having this massive confrontation with the religious leaders, saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus leaves the temple. That's pretty significant, right? Jesus leaves. And the disciples go, oh, isn't it a great building? Jesus goes, it's going to be destroyed. You have to understand, Jesus is talking about the end of the temple. That's what this is about. Now, you might then say, well, that's got nothing to do with me then. Because you'll see from my very detailed line of history, not, a, not an enormously strong historian, uh, but I do know that in AD 70, that's about 40 years after Jesus said this, the temple was destroyed, exactly like Jesus said. The Romans came in and they laid siege to Jerusalem. It was a horrific 
time. And the temple was thrown down, completely destroyed, just like Jesus said. And we might say, well then, what's it got to do with us? Temple's been destroyed, big deal. Jesus said it would happen, it happened. Ooh, that's impressive, but so what? Okay, here's what it's got to do with us. Because as you read through this chapter, you suddenly go, well, hang on a second. I don't think he's talking about the temple anymore. Something's happened. He's gone, whoa, hang on. Now he's talking about the sun being shaken and the stars falling. What's going on? Suddenly you realize, oh no, he is talking about the end of the world. And that's how this chapter works. Hey, let me try and explain. Okay, I, this is really important for us to understand. This is sort of how prophecy works, right? Okay, we're going to do a little thought experiment. Um, I don't know why. That just sounds more exciting. I'm going to tell you an illustration. We're going to do a thought experiment together. It's going to take quite a lot of imagination. I want you to imagine one day I come to you and I say, I am going to give you a very, very great gift. I told you it would take imagination, right? Uh, at some point in the future, a very great, very, very great gift. No. Ooh, exciting. And two weeks later, I give you a box of Maltesers. And as you unwrap the box of Maltesers, what are you thinking to yourself? You're thinking, ah, interesting, he's given me a gift. Is this the great gift? Or is this not the great Is this? It doesn't seem... I mean, it's a gift, and it's generous. And I like Maltesers, but is it the great gift? And then two years later, I give you a 50-inch flat-screen TV. And you go, ah, oh, it's the gift. Is this the, is this the great gift? I mean, it's a gift. It's generous. And it's, it's in line with the Maltesers. You know, the Maltesers, that was nice, and this is nice. And five years later, I give you a, a, a Bentley Continental car. I told you it would take imagination, okay? <coughs> yeah, is that, the, is that the gift? I don't know, is that the gift? Yes, this is the gift. This must be the gift. This is the very great gift. And then, on the day I die, and my will is read, you discover I've left everything, everything to you. And suddenly you say, that's the great gift. Now, do you see that along the way, every one of those was part of that great gift. And it, it was pointing forward to the great gift. And it kind of taught you. So the Maltesers taught you that it was just, And it kind of gave you confidence that there was a great gift coming. And you sort of had a sense it wasn't the great gift, but it was certainly a gift. You often find that with prophecy. So Jesus talks about something, and, and, it's, and it kind of happens, but it has several fulfillments. It happens, and then it there's another fulfillment, and then it happens, and there's another fulfillment. That's what's happening here. Jesus is talking, so here he is talking to his disciples in about 30 AD. And he's looking forward, and he's saying, the end is coming. And in AD 70, the end of the temple comes. But then you discover he's looking through the end of the temple to talk about the end. And the end of the temple points you forwards and makes you realize that the end of the world is coming. And it teaches you about what the end of the world will be like. They're not unconnected, right? Did that make any sense? Are people fairly... Some of you are nodding, the rest of you are just going, nope. When does this thought experiment end? <laughs> That's the end of the thought experiment. You can... Sorry if it didn't help at all. But the point is, in Jesus, as Jesus is talking, there is this multi-layered fulfillment to what he's saying. 
And, and I hope that will vaguely help us. And at the end of the day, right, if you don't understand anything I'm saying, this is the issue. This is where we're going to land. So if you're completely confused, listen to this, because this won't confuse you. Here is the question Jesus wants to ask you this afternoon. Where does your security ultimately lie? We don't like to think about the end. We don't like to think about the end of our lives. We don't like to think about the end of the world. We don't like to think about it, but Jesus is going to force us to think about it, and he's going to say, where's your confidence for that? Where does it lie? And it's, my first big point is, it's easy to have a false sense of security. Okay, we've made it to our first point. A false sense of security. Right, come on, let's get into the, the story, right? So here are the disciples. They're coming out of the temple, and as they say in verse 1, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. What are they saying? Do you not see how important? They're, they are impressed by the temple. They've just watched Jesus confront the temple, say, this is a, you're, not relig- you know, you're doing it all wrong, you don't love God, and yet they still say, yeah, but the temple's good, isn't it? What massive stones and what magnificent buildings. We've got the temple. We're sorted. We're strong. We're going to be all right. The temple is their security. And this is, so, this is so human. You tell me this isn't like us, right? What is it about the temple they love? Two things. They love the fact it's massive and they love the fact it's magnificent. That's what impresses us. We are impressed by massive and magnificent things. We want things that are big and amazing. And that's what makes us feel safe. We're constantly trying to find security. It's a big business, right, security. I was looking at uh, www.ultimatebunkers.com this week. You can buy a bunker which is buried 10 feet underground which will keep you safe from atomic attack. And people are doing this. It was an American website. Not, not make, and no comment, no comment, no comment. Just saying. <laughs> uh, we want security, and the bigger the better. So it's buried five feet underground, but if that's not enough, you can have it buried, reinforced and buried ten feet underground. Because it's got to be massive and it's got to be magnificent. That's what we want. We want, that's what makes us feel safe. And that's what these disciples are saying. So now just imagine how these words would have hit them. We don't feel this because we're not, because we've never seen the temple. Jesus says, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. For Jesus, that is an extraordinary thing for Jesus to say. This is the source of their confidence. This is the source of their security. We're okay, we've got the temple. Nothing's going to attack the temple. It's the most massive and magnificent thing in their whole existence. This is the thing that will never be destroyed. And Jesus says, it's going to be pulled down. And it's going to happen in your lifetime, Jesus says to them. What a huge thing. Jesus says, your security, your confidence in the temple is completely and utterly false. 
You are trusting something that will not support you. Now, this is very similar to what what often we do as children, isn't it? I mean, how many people here ever had a security blanket? Or anything, a security... It's okay, don't. Let's not admit, okay? Because that would be embarrassing. Some of us may still have that. A security teddy bear or a security something, you know, like a little teddy bear that sits in your cot and it keeps you safe. And it's like, where's the bear? Go on, it's not there. It's okay, it's okay. We've got to find the bear. We found the bear. It's okay, we found the bear. Sorry, everything's okay again. We found the bear. Right, we put our, and we laugh at kids and go, it's cute, isn't it? They kind of find their security in something that's, you know, the bear can't actually save them. It's not a ninja bear that's going to attack any burglars that come into the house. It can't actually save them, but it makes them feel safe. It's cute. That's what we do. We put our confidence in stuff. That's what these guys were doing. It's okay, we've got the temple. We put our confidence in stuff that cannot save us. And yet if it's massive enough, if, listen, if I had a bank balance that was massive and magnificent, if, I, let's do a thought experiment. No, if I had a bank balance that was massive and magnificent, that would make me feel safe. That's what loads of people think. If I just had that, that's going to be my bunker. That's going to be what makes me feel safe. This is what we pursue. Jesus says to these guys, it's all going to be torn down. Now, these, these guys, they really should have known better. Because this has happened before. Keep your finger in Mark. We're going to go back to Jeremiah 7. If you thought Mark 13 was bizarre enough, we're going back to, Mark, uh, to Jeremiah 7. I'll tell you where it is. It's on page 765. Right, page 765. You'll see why this is important. Um, Jeremiah 7, page 765. Right, listen to this. This is the word, this is verse 1, that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, that's the temple, and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all the people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Here you go, listen. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. And it's, it, it, I'll, I'll read on. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. This has happened before. The temple, they came, they said, we got the temple. Where is the temple? We can do whatever we want. It was a superstition, right? The temple had become not a place of worship, a place of superstition. We're okay. Cross your fingers. Hope to die. Swear on the temple. We're going to be all right. You know what happened to people in Jeremiah's day? The temple got smashed down. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and smashed the temple down. It got rebuilt. And here we are again. 
And it's the same thing. They've done the same thing. They've turned the temple into a den of robbers. They're treating it like this is a superstitious thing. And Jesus says, it's going to happen again. God is going to judge. He's going to bring an end to this idolatrous worship in this temple. Stop trusting in something that doesn't save you. And that's what we see all over our world. People who are building massive and magnificent empires and think that they're going to save, and they won't. Jesus says, not one stone of Trump Tower will be left on another. Every single one will be thrown down. Not one stone. Not one stone of the Shard. Not one stone of the Twin Towers. Not one stone, not one stone will be left on another. Everything will be thrown down. You see that? This is not where our safety, our magnificent and massive buildings are not where our security lies. Now, obviously, the disciples say, oh, we need to, we're, we're going to speed up, okay? Very much speed up. Obviously, the disciples say, well, when? When is this going to happen, Jesus? When is this going to happen? In verse 5, Jesus says, this is my second point, okay? When the rug is pulled away. And Jesus talks very specifically about the destruction of the temple. But I want you to notice he's talking beyond the temple. He's talking beyond the temple to the end of the world, to understand the end of the world. And so Jesus warns them, many are going to come and deceive you. You're going to hear wars and rumors. So there's going to be turmoil. These are the features. When the rug is pulled away, there's going to be turmoil in the world. Wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. That's what Jesus says this world is going to be like. And then he says there's going to be opposition. You're going to be handed over to his disciples. He says you're going to be flogged. You're going to be uh, brought before kings to be witnesses to them. There's going to be horrendous opposition. And there's going to be great distress. So let me read on from verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything in advance. So Jesus says, there's going to be this time of distress. Right, abomination that causes desolation. Don't stress, it's not that difficult. Right? It comes from Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel sees a vision of an abomination that causes desolation. That is of a, a pagan altar or person being set up right in the heart of the temple. Okay? And Jesus says, that's coming. When's it coming? Well, it's coming in AD 70 when the Romans are going to trample into the most holy place and destroy it. That's the abomination that causes desolation. When God's holy place will be utterly desecrated and destroyed. And Jesus says it's going to be a terrible time. It's going to be a time when you have to grab your stuff and you have to run. 
This is the reality of what happened in AD 70. Huge numbers of people were killed. Massive suffering. People were scattered from Jerusalem as the Romans came in and tore the place down. There's great distress. And in those days, when there is turmoil and opposition and distress, in those days it's going to be really tempting to think, everything's gone wrong. Everything, all of my security, all the things I trusted in have gone. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you need to hold on. Stand firm. Don't panic. In fact, get on with doing the job. You've got a job to do. Your job is to tell people that the temple is not the good news, that Jesus is the good news. Your job is to go preach the gospel, to go, to go to everybody, to go to all the nations, to go to everybody and tell them that there is good news. There is a God in heaven. There is a king who saves. You go preach the gospel. And as the world is falling down around you, you hold firm, you stand firm, and you keep preaching the gospel. That's what he says. Hold on. That's what his disciples did. You read it through the pages of Acts. They preach, they speak, they speak, they tell, they tell, they tell this great news of Jesus. And this is very clearly fulfilled in that fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. But can I ask you this? Does it sound like our world today? Turmoil, opposition. We were praying for house churches in China. This is their experience, right? I don't think they'd read this and go, oh, sounds a bit odd. They'd read it and say, this is, this is us. This is our experience. Of course, yes, it is. Great distress. Great suffering. We live in a distressing, painful, broken world. And it can be so tempting for us to, to throw our hands up in despair and to say, it's all gone wrong. And Jesus says, no, it hasn't. It hasn't gone wrong. It's just that you're putting your security, don't put your security in those things. You need to shift your security. So if you know what it's like to experience, well, we all know what it's like to turn on the telly and to see wars and rumors of wars and famine. Jesus says, hold on, hold on, don't panic, don't panic. The end is still to come. If you know what it's like to be opposed by friends or by family, if you know what that's like, hold on, Jesus says, hold on. Do you know what it's like to suffer distress and just agony and despair? Hold on, Jesus says. And he warns, doesn't he? There's going to be all sorts of people who come and say, I'll be your saviour. Look, look, look. I'll be your Messiah. I've got the solution. I can fix the problems. Jesus says, don't you believe him? You hold on. Hold on to me. And he's told us everything in advance. I've told you so that you can be ready. Okay, then it changes again. Verse 24, here's my third point. The ultimate source of security. This is how you hold on. This is where you suddenly think, oh, hang on a second, he's gone way beyond the Jerusalem thing now. Out of verse 24, but in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You see, somewhere here we've gone beyond Jerusalem, right? And now we're told that there is a day coming when Jesus, the Son of Man, will come in power and great glory with his angels. And do you see what his job is? Do you see what he's coming to do? To gather up his elect. To gather up his elect. That's his chosen, his people. That's how you hold on. I want you to know this this afternoon. Listen to me. If you're trusting Jesus this afternoon, you are one of his precious, treasured possessions. He loves you. And he knows that it's tough. And he knows that there's suffering. He knows there's distress and deep, deep suffering in this world. But he says, hold on, because I'm coming with great power. And I will send out my angels and I will gather all of my people. Not one of them will be missing. I'll gather them in. What a day. What a day. And we might say to ourselves, oh, this sounds, oh, this has all gone a bit like Disney fairy story, kind of happy ending. How do we know? Well, the same way in the thought experiment that when I give you the flat screen TV, it increases your confidence in the final gift. The destruction of Jerusalem, just like Jesus said, increases our confidence that he will come and bring about that final day when the arrogance of humanity will be destroyed, but God's people will be gathered to him. Jesus is the ultimate source of security. And his words, his words will never pass away. What he says is true. And there is another way that we know this is going to happen. Because I don't know about you, but I can't help reading. You know that bit in verse 24, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. I read that and I think, that's interesting because that has happened. And if you look at my line of history, even before the end of the temple, there was the death of Jesus. And Jesus, in just a few days after he said this, is going to die on a cross. And as he dies on the cross, the sky is going to go dark. And if you can understand this, okay, if you can understand this, you will understand the heart of what it means to be a Christian. The end of the world fell on Jesus at the cross. The darkness of God's judgment, the, the, the tearing down, happened to Jesus at the cross. Because the reality is, I deserve, I deserve to be torn down. I deserve to be crushed. I deserve God's punishment. But Jesus, the reason he came, the reason he can gather us as God's people is because he stood in our place on that cross 
on that day, he took the crushing punishment of God. The sky went dark. Jesus died for us. So if you like, as Jesus says these words, you look at the cross and you say, he's definitely coming because look at the cross. He died and rose again. He's definitely coming because AD 70, the temple is destroyed. He's definitely coming. Which leaves the final thing. And we're doing well. Hang in there. I know it was a long one today. Okay? And I, I sort of knew that. And next week I promise we'll be back to normal. <laughs> he says like it's not normally long. Uh, here's the final thing, right? Remember the disciples' question? Okay, when? When is Jesus coming? Wouldn't you love to know? Lots of people have tried to guess. In fact, some people have confidently said it's going to happen at 7 o'clock in the evening on the 21st of May. People make these kind of predictions. And that was the question, right? The question they asked him was, when will these things happen? Jesus says all this stuff. And in verse 32, he says, okay, now, uh, now, about the day and the hour. Let's get back to your question. No one knows. That's pretty clear. Not even the angels in heaven. Not the sun. Even Jesus in his humanity does not know. You can ask me about that afterwards. Uh, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that day will come. And I want to tell you, there is a great blessing in ignorance. Humanity is obsessed with wanting to know the future. This is why horoscopes are such big misses. I've read, I've read my horoscope once in my whole life. It was an extraordinary experience. I read it, and I can remember very clearly the first line of it. It said, you will have a birthday soon. And I was like, that's unbelievable, because it's my birthday next week. This, this is true. There's something, that's, how, does, how does it know? And my mate went to me, but it's all done on birthdays. <laughs> it's like, that's how they, you're Libra, because your birthday's in October. <laughs> October. <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Okay. Not fooled. Not fooled. <laughs> Absolutely on it. But we are fascinated by wanting to know the future. We want to know. We want to know. We want to know. And Jesus says, you don't know. And if you did know, it would destroy you. How would you live your life if you knew? How could you possibly function if you knew when the end of the world was coming? It would be impossible. So Jesus says, you function like this. You don't know. And because you don't know, you live every single day with the coming of Jesus in mind. Every day. Be alert. Wake up. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security. Wake up. Keep watch. Verse 35, and here's where we're going to finish. Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. When they're in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. So after all of that stuff, this is where Jesus lands. Stay awake. Stay awake. I mean, not physically stay awake all the time, because that would be like freaky weird. But be ready all the time. Be ready. Because he's coming. And you don't know when it's going to be which sets you free to live every single day for him. So as we finish, that's, that's really the, the question. What Jesus is saying here, it, it is difficult and it's massive stuff, but he is telling us 
the reality of our world. Everything will be torn down. And the small examples, like the temple in Jerusalem, like the things we see happening today, like the Twin Towers being torn down. Now listen to me, I'm not saying that's God's judgment on those specific people. I'm saying it's evidence of our world's securities in the wrong place. The wrong place. Our security needs to be in Jesus. Only Jesus. Only he can keep us safe on that day. And when he comes, it will be a glorious day. So if you're trusting him and you know the distress and pain of this world, hang on, hold on. Keep going. Keep speaking the gospel. Keep praying for your friends. Keep going. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, can I urge you, plead with you, right now, please, be ready for that day. Jesus is coming. It isn't just pie in the sky. It is true. He's promised it. He's given evidence for it, and he's coming. We need to be ready. Why don't we pray together, and uh, then we're going to respond as we sing together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We confess we read these things and we live in a culture where it's so easy to ignore the end, where things are comfortable, where life is often often okay. Father, please help us not to be lulled into a false sense of security. Pray that we would place all of our confidence in Jesus. Help us not to be kind of like bedazzled by the magnificent and the massive things of our world. Help us instead to be utterly captivated by the most magnificent and most massive King Jesus. Father, please would he fill our view. Please would we love him, trust him, stand firm in him, preach him to all, and on the day he comes, be gathered to be with him forever. Father, we praise you, we worship you in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a couple of songs together. We're gonna, the first one says, um, he's coming on the clouds.